I'm going to ask you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide now. And that's where you'll find uh, the, the scriptures on which the sermon is based. We'll read this in a moment, but I don't know if you notice, but 2023 is here. It's come. Uh, and I, I want, this is a weird thing for me, but I, I wanted to do uh, a special New Year's sermon to, to help us frame 2023 and, and the year ahead rightly. Now this is, New Year's and New Year's Eve are not evangelical feast days, all right? They, they get way more airtime and attention than they, than they truly deserve. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's that important, but practically things are typically uh, quieter or different here at the church. We have a, a sermon series that we do in the new year based on a minor prophet. You're welcome to come back next week. It's, in, it's on Habakkuk or Habakkuk. You can say it whichever way you want. Um, but, you know, some of our people are still traveling, and so I wanted to give this as a little spacer. That doesn't mean you can tune out what I'm about to say. It's still important what I'm saying, uh, but this is just kind of unique for us because naturally kind of at New Year's, New Year's Eve, people start making plans. They make resolutions to better themselves. They make certain goals for themselves or as a family. And so I thought maybe we should, we should do something similar. We should ask together, you know, what plans, what goals should Christ Church Halifax have for the year to come? As followers of Christ, what should we aspire to? What changes, perhaps, should we consider making? Uh, what should we, as followers of Christ, have in mind when we think of the year ahead, this, this fresh year, 2023? Most importantly, of course, the question to ask is, what does God want from us in 2023? What does he want from you? What do the scriptures, when we study them, what do they focus our attention on? What, what do the scriptures value for followers of Christ? Uh, how can we make that, what God says to us, a greater focus for the year to come? I thought what we should do then is we should start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, right? As the song goes, when you begin to read, you, when you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with do, re, mi. Very good. And for Christians, we also have the basics of the faith. We have the ABCs, the do, re, mi, a place where little children, you should be starting. You should be reading and memorizing and thinking about these things, but also wily veterans, the elderly in the church, we should never be very far away from. And these are the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. They are the very beginning, and they are a very good place to start. And so as we move into 2023, let's look back together at the same time. This is like somebody who's, who's, who's rowing a boat, all right? They're advancing, they're progressing, but they keep their eyes backwards. They're also remembering where they've come from. So let's look at the beginning of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, a little portion of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to um, say the Apostles' Creed together before the Lord's Supper, and then uh, Jesus's emphasis for, for the law uh, in Matthew 22. So a couple different, couple different angles here. Exodus 20, and God spoke all of these words to the people of Israel, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Matthew 6, when his disciples asked him how to pray, Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, when preaching, said to the man who asked him, which is the most important commandment, he said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God of redemption, the God of renewal, the God of new life. Breathe freshness into your people now as you speak by your spirit and your word so that we can experience together the peace of Christ. Amen. For over 2,000 years, the church, wherever you go, north, south, east, west, has viewed the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed as giving us the basics, the ABCs of historic, orthodox, biblical Christian faith. But each of them look at the faith from a slightly different angle. If you want to get your 2023 started off right, memorize them. Get them into your bones. It should be, it should be kind of a reflex to know what the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed is about. You can think of it this way, okay? The Apostles' Creed teaches us the basics of Christian faith, what we are to believe, what's essential for Christians to believe. The Lord's Prayer teaches the basics of Christian hope, uh, how we rest, where we get peace from. And the Ten Commandments, they teach us the basics of Christian love, how we're to live lives of love. That's how we should be looking at the Ten Commandments. Again, we just have the first commandment uh, printed here in your worship guide, but the Ten Commandments are the ABCs of love. They are our first lesson on how to love God and how we're to love each other. Again, we're just looking at the first commandment today, but roughly, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four focus us on loving God and the latter six on how to love our neighbors. But the first commandment, kind of like the first button on your shirt, it's important to get it right, or every other command, every other button is going to be misaligned. So, so the first commandment isn't just arbitrarily first in number. It's actually first in importance. If you don't get the first commandment right, you're going to struggle with everything else. The law teaches us, the Ten Commandments and all the law, again, we need, to, we need to lock this in our mind, they teach us what love looks like. God's laws and commandments, whatever they are, they aren't random, they aren't arbitrary, but they, they're the way we're to live lives of love. The law points out what loving God and loving our, our, our neighbors what it, what it looks like, but it also points out really clearly uh, that love doesn't mean whatever we think it means, whatever we kind of decide together as a church or as a people or a society. Love actually means something. It means whatever God says love means. This is kind of a trap that we get into in, in more modern thinking. In our society, if somebody says to us, that's not loving, that's a really powerful argument against something, right? We say, okay, you, you win. I'll stop thinking or saying or doing that thing because to be unloving is, is, is the worst possible sin, right? But, but by not being loving, that means we're saying or we're doing something that that person dislikes or makes them sad. And so what we do is we stand over God's law. If we feel a bit of an edge, a bit of a bite in certain of his laws, we say, if God were loving, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't ask that of me. But this is us trying to stuff certain definitions into what love is. Jesus' point, if you look at Matthew 22, is that all of the law, all of the prophets, every word that God speaks to his people, every command we read in the Bible, describes the life of love. All the Ten Commandments, every commandment in the New and the Old Testament, they are the concrete fleshing out of this more abstract command 
to love God and love our neighbors. How do I love God? How do I love my neighbors? The Ten Commandments, all of the laws and the prophets, they, they fill that out. They explain what that means. First uh, John 4 simply says, God is love. And therefore, the God of love is the ultimate authority we go to if we want to understand what love is. He will never speak a word. He'll never utter a command to his people that's not fundamentally loving because that is who he is. Jesus tells us that love, here in, in Matthew 22, love is the most important thing. It's the highest priority he has for his people. So what better goal could you make for 2023 to say, I want to be a more loving person. I want, I want to love God. I want to love my neighbors more. And thankfully, we don't just have to kind of guess on our own, okay, well, what do I do now? What, what should I do? The Ten Commandments have been given to us to put meat on them bones, right? They give us the ABCs, the one, two, threes, the Doremis of what love looks like. Our outline this morning, i got to admit, it's a bit of a tangled mess, so heads up to, to that, okay? I'm going to give you, this is what I'm going to give you, okay? I'm going to give you two guardrails, two angles, and four questions, all right? I don't know if you're already lost, but this is what I'm going to do. I got the mic. I can do what I want. <laughs> two guardrails, two angles, four questions. Buckle up. So first, the two guardrails. If you're a new driver and you're going, going on a mountain road, one of the things you are thankful for is that there are guardrails set up. So that even if you veer the wrong way, uh, you won't end up in a ditch or off the mountain. People, people, if you haven't noticed, they can poorly handle a car and cause a wreck. And what we see in the Bible, what we see by experience, is that people, too, can poorly handle God's law and make a wreck. They can make a mess of things. So to handle the Ten Commandments, well, throwing up a few guardrails can help us from falling into a ditch on either side of the road. This is an important practice for us. So here are, here are the two guardrails before we begin to handle God's law, before we look at the Ten Commandments. This is the first guardrail. The Ten Commandments cannot rescue people. You've got to lock that in your mind. That's a good guardrail to have. The Ten Commandments cannot rescue people. We need this guardrail to keep us out of the ditch that you might call legalism, all right? No one has ever been saved by obedience to the law. No one can be saved by keeping the law. And that's actually not what the law was ever given for. If you look at verses 1 through 2 of Exodus chapter 20, you see that really clearly. You see that God first rescues his people, and then only after does he give them their law, right? From the first giving of the law in the Ten Commandments, it's very clear. The law cannot rescue people. Only God can. Therefore, for somebody to practice legalism, to be something called a legalist, uh, they are not a legalist simply because they're trying to keep all of God's law. That's not legalism. You're a legalist when you attempt to use the law as a substitute savior, to use it in a way that it was never meant to be used. Because the scriptures are clear, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, salvation belongs to God. This is a clear message, right? We cannot save ourselves by use of, of anything or anyone save Christ Jesus himself. In fact, to attempt to do so uh, is an insult to Christ's sacrifice. Romans 3, explicit, right? Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Cannot be rescued, cannot be made right in God's sight. As Jesus said, he came for sinners, not the righteous. Just as a physician came to the sick, not to the well. Again, this is our first guardrail. The law cannot rescue people. Only Christ can. But a second guardrail is really important too. And this is it. This is the second one. The Ten Commandments are given to rescued people. 
The Ten Commandments are, in fact, given to rescued people. After God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, he didn't remain silent. He didn't say, okay, I rescued you, I love you, have a great life, you do you. You know, you can figure out this following me thing on your own. You know, good luck, see you later. No, that's not what happened. Because he's the God who both saves and sanctifies his people, he gave them his law. He taught them how to become more like him. He is the God of love, and so he taught his people how to love by giving them the law of love. This, this second guardrail that we're setting up keeps us out of the ditch that we might call license. Many Christians in error, they think because they've been rescued by God's sheer grace, by his kindness, while they were sinners, not by their obedience, they think, I can just live however I want to live. Right? I, I, but that's not the case at all. Right? Rescue always comes first, but the law is always given after. The indicatives, you know, who we are in Christ, they lead automatically to the imperatives, who we are to become in Christ. Uh, the old saying goes, we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. So to handle the law rightly before we, before we approach the first commandment, we need these two guardrails, keep it, keeping us out of the ditch of legalism, using the law in a wrong way, and license, which is ignoring the central importance of the law in the life of rescued people. Now, looking at Exodus 20, what does the first commandment teach us? Why is it so important? Why is it the chief button in our life of love? How could it give direction to us as individuals and as a church in the year to come? How does it actually help us to grow a life of love? Well, if you look at verse 3, this is, this is what God himself speaks you shall have no other God before me or, or beside me. The idea here is that nothing and no one is to be first in our affections before God. That when it comes to ordering our loyalties in life, God comes first. So we've, we've considered our two guardrails, and now we're going to be looking at this first commandment from two different angles. All right, Two guardrails, two angles. The two angles are, are positive and negative. So, so the first angle, looking at this first commandment, uh, Positively, this is what we have to see. Positively, this commandment is commanding us to love God. That's the first angle. As we look at the first commandment, what is it? It's a command to love God. How do we keep the first commandment? How do, how do we make sure we're keeping it well? We're to love God wholeheartedly, to worship him faithfully, to honor him completely, to obey him diligently. God and God alone, this first commandment is saying, is to be our highest priority in life. What he says goes. We obey him before we obey anyone else. Jesus makes this link between love and obedience really clear in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He goes on to say, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. John Calvin points out that, that this isn't simply God being a bossy boots. He's not simply trying to coerce obedience out of us. No, we need to love in a particular kind of way. We need to love and obey a perfect loving father, not just a boss. To love God and to obey him rightly, therefore, isn't this mechanical, passionless project. Instead, as Calvin points out, it involves trusting, seeking, and thanking God. I'm going to break this down a little bit. So Christian love and obedience, what does this mean to love God? A little bit more flesh on it. It means trusting God. To love God means to trust him. That is to, to rest and rejoice in him. Uh, to, to know that he is with us and that he's for us. 
This could be reflected in, in your Bible reading. A commitment to, to spending time listening to God's voice, to believe every word that he's speaking to you. It involves trusting him. It also involves seeking him. So, so whenever we have a need, we seek him first. This could be reflected in your prayer life, you know, practically, uh, it, that you have frequent, warm, extended time of prayer with your father. Christian love and obedience also means thanking him, knowing that all good things come from him. And this could be seen in a life of obedience and joy, that we delight to do his will. We enjoy his approval more than the approval of others. Now, this kind of love, as you're hearing it, okay, this is what God is commanding you. The most important thing in your faith to start off with is, is loving him in a way that trusts and seeks and thanks him. This isn't natural. It's not easy. It's actually not even something that you can just drum up on your own. So what do we do? Well, this is why prayer is so important. Why the Lord's Prayer begins as it does. How do I love God in such a way that I trust, seek, and thank him? God, help me. I need the Spirit's help for this. Jesus understands this. That's why when he teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, you can see it there. This is how he begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May, may your name be set apart. Would, you, would it be the highest priority? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer, a plea, asking God to help us hold his, his name and his kingdom as our highest priority, to love, seek, trust him with our whole hearts. Now, sadly, for many people who claim to be Christians, who are part of the church, not only do they not love God with this kind of wholehearted love, it's not even really on their radar. It's not, not really a consideration. Christianity is kind of like their side hustle. It's one of many things that I got going on. You know, I think it might make me a bit of a better person. I really want to raise my kids in a kind of a religious atmosphere, but I don't want to go nuts. <laughs> like, I, I, I do want to be a better coworker. I want to be a better neighbor. And I think Christianity can kind of help me go in that direction, but I don't want to be a religious nut. I, I don't want God to, to be the, the greatest priority of it. I've got other things that are going on. But listen, the first commandment will have none of this. We'll have none of it. This is the first button. This is the chief priority. If you want anything else to make sense and to be rightly ordered, you have to get this right. To be a rescued person means we're both saved by God and being sanctified him. Not only being loved by God, but learning to love him wholeheartedly. And if we don't get that right, God is our highest priority. Every other Christian duty, every other Christian button will be messed up. We can't even begin to become the kind of people that God's made us to be, to love our neighbors, to love our spouses and our kids and our parents, until we love God rightly first, trusting him, seeking him, thanking him. So this is, this is our first angle of looking at the first commandment. Positively, it teaches us to love God. This is our second angle, looking at the first commandment. Negatively, what this command uh, prohibits us from, or what it, what it tells us, is to hate false gods and all God substitutes. So positively, this command wants us to love God. Negatively, wants us to hate false gods and God substitutes. I don't know if you noticed, looking at the first commandment, uh, but it's, it's given a negative voicing, right? You shall have no other gods before me. If you, if you look at all the Ten Commandments, a lot of them are, are voiced negatively. Loving and worshiping God is the positive way to say that same thing. But like most of the other Ten Commandments, it's phrased negatively, and we should actually be very attentive to that. The negative phrasing tells us that there's actually going to be a constant temptation for us to seek after other gods and God substitutes, 
And we're going to have to resist that. We're going to have to actively say no to that. We can't give in to this temptation. To be loyal to God means that we must separate ourselves completely from all other rivals to him. God is a God who will not share his love with another. The world that ancient Israel lived in, this is the world of Exodus chapter 20, was a world you know, similar to us. There were many different religions, uh, many different external pressures, if you were living in a certain society, uh, to, to worship the same gods as the people and the nations around you. And for many of us, when, when we read the first commandment, maybe at first we're like, that's not really a temptation for me. Like it, on the surface, it doesn't feel like a really big challenge today. You might say, I'm not that interested in work, worshiping the Greek gods. This is just not something I really think about very much. I'm not, I'm not really tempted towards uh, worshiping no god or a fertility goddess. I don't feel you know, this pressure to convert to another religion. So I think I'm good. I think I got the first commandment right. Listen, the first commandment is so much deeper than that. Listen, this is the assumption that the Bible has, that having other gods, putting other gods before the true God, the rescuing God, this is just assumed to be a constant temptation to you. Uh, if you read the Westminster Larger Catechism, this theological explanation of the scriptures, the first commandment forbids what we'd assume it does. This is what, this is what they say. Atheism and idolatry. These are, these are forbidden. We all kind of check off on that. But this is also what this command is forbidding. It's forbidding all God's substitutes. We're forbidden from self-love and self-seeking, as well as immoderately setting our mind, will, and affections upon other things or other people than God. The book of 1 John, which we've already quoted from, is a book that's all about love, tells us about our God of love, loving God, loving our neighbors, loving Christ, loving his forgiveness. And this is how this book on love ends. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. This, is this, this book on this letter of love, this is how we guard love, how we protect ourselves in love. Keep ourselves from idols. Why do we not love God and love our neighbors rightly? Maybe that's something that you struggle with. Yeah, I want to be more loving. How come I'm not? Why do we forget the good news of Jesus? Why do we live like people who are still under slavery to sin? This is why, because we break the first commandment. We break the first commandment, and therefore breaking all the other commandments is a little bit easier. When we fail to separate our hearts from not only you know, big name gods, but God's substitutes, when we set our mental and our emotional commitments to someone or something else other than God, we don't, we don't love God and we don't love our neighbors as we should. Martin Luther once said this, he said, if you can keep the first commandment perfectly, everything else is easy. If you could keep the first commandment flawlessly, every other command would be super easy. So if we were to reverse engineer that, we would see that the real reason why we don't keep the other nine commandments, why we, don't, why we struggle to obey God and love our neighbors is because of this. We don't love God completely with our whole heart. We ultimately love, trust, seek, and thank someone or something else more than God, higher in our affections. And so what is that for you? Who is that? What God substitutes, what rival loves, hold sway in your heart this morning? One of the unique features of these God substitutes is that they often fly under the radar. They're kind of hard to detect. 
If you just look at somebody from the outside, you know, they attend church, they go to home group, they, they take the Lord's Supper beside you. It's difficult. To, they're not wearing a t-shirt that says, this is my God substitute, all right? And so a few, a few questions might help us uncover them in ourselves and in others. We've put up two guardrails. We've looked at the first commandment from two angles. I'm going to ask you four questions now. If you have a pen, these might be helpful to write down, to consider, to ask them a little bit more deeply, to ask your spouse or a close friend, to ask them of you. These are questions to help diagnose, to analyze, to consider what potential God's substitutes are in your life. And so this is the first of the four questions. Who or what do you love most? Who or what do you love most? What do you seek after to satisfy your deepest needs and wants? You know, is, is it relationships? Is it money? Is it pleasure? Is it fun? Is it travel? Is it being liked? You know, what, what, what do you think about when you first wake up? What does your mind daydream naturally toward? What, what do you hustle to obtain? What do you love? Who do you love most? And some of the answers to these questions may not be forbidden things. They might actually be pretty good things, and yet still need to be repented and turned away from um, so that you can rightly order them under the love of God. That's the first question. Who or what do you love most? Here's the second question. Who or what do you trust in? Who or what do you trust will meet your needs? Are you trusting in health foods and exercise? Are you, are you trusting in your self-control? A vacation on the horizon? Financial security? Are you trusting alcohol? Or a boyfriend? Or a girlfriend? Or well-behaved children? Or a new job that this will finally make my life a life well-lived? What's the source of your peace? What, what if you don't have it, or when your grip of it becomes less secure, do you feel deprived of peace, that you're upset? What gives you anxiety when you don't have it? Who or what do you trust in? This is the third question. I'm asking a lot of questions. I hope you know that there's, there's four main ones. Okay? Uh, third question. Who or what do you seek? Who or what do you seek? What's your prayer life like? Is it frequent and warm and extended? Do you enjoy spending time with your father? Or is it infrequent? Is it usually just a time where you attempt to get stuff out of God? Where do you really think your help comes from? When you're desperate, or when you're bored, or when you're looking for daily help and daily direction, to whom or to what do you turn? Again, there may be some good things on this list. You know, it might be church friends or, you know, or co-workers. This isn't a rejection of these things, but again, there might be some repentance in order to place these under seeking God first. So who or what do you love? Who or what do you trust in? Who or what do you seek? And finally, our fourth question, who do you thank? Who do you thank? When you're in a season of challenge or of blessing, who do you turn to to recognize as, as the first cause of all things? Is it, is it yourself? Is it your skills and your hard work? Is it just you know, blind chance and good fortune? Or is it to God, the maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe that, that you're the captain of your ship? Or that fate is? Or your emotions or your history or some malevolent person? Or do you go to God, the God of love, who is with you and for you? Who do you thank? These four questions are important. They're, they're, again, they're self-diagnosis or questions that you can ask uh, another person to ask you. 
And the attempt in asking these questions is to help ferret out false gods or God substitutes in your heart. Let's end with this, okay? Since we're at the beginning of the year, I wanted again for us to start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. For Christians, the basics of the faith, the ABCs, the Doremis, the place where both newcomers uh, to the faith and lifers in the church, we should always keep close to the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. 2023 is here. And that's a good thing. Some of us might feel an odd pressure to try to reinvent the wheel, to become the kind of people uh, that we think that we should be. And yes, it's a bit of fun to make some personal goals, to read more books, walk more, eat more salt maybe. I don't know if that's a goal. Um, I'm not trying to discourage that. Some people are frowning. Salt's really good for you, just FYI. Okay, but, but, if, but if we listen to God speak, if we listen to his voice, to ask him who he's made us to be, what he wants from us, we'll hear him teaching us that the first and the greatest commandments, uh, the sweetest, the richest way of living, is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the first commandment, the command that we read here in Exodus 20, the command to love God and hate and reject all false gods and God's substitutes, Luther says this to us. This is the key to keeping all the other commands, to becoming a person who's dominated by love for God and love for others. If we keep this one, all the other ones will be easy. Now, may you be thankful for the year that was and hopeful for the year to come. May you learn and love the Ten Commandments, which are given to you by the God of love. May we become a church that loves God and loves our neighbors in ways shaped by God's good, sweet, enriching word. May you, in your life, avoid both legalism and license, handling God's law rightly. And may your love be one that increasingly trusts, seeks, and gives thank, thanks to the God who both rescues and renews you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son to us and for leaving your spirit to guide and to help us in all faith and all obedience. God, we admit that we love wrongly, that our hearts are not set on what is most good and true and beautiful, that we allow rival gods and rival loves to crowd our hearts, and that makes trusting and seeking and obeying you and thanking you more difficult. God, do a work in our hearts now. Send your spirit to help us to love you. Give us prayers. Lord, would you help our church to be one that prays the Lord's Prayer with earnestness and with frequency, asking that your name would be hallowed in our lives, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we ask for your help. We thank you that you love to give help to those who ask. And so we come together as a church asking for your help. We love you. We thank you for your love. Help us to mature now in this year to come. We pray all these things in Christ's name. And amen.